And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as the local uh, fire department who's uh, passing by near the building. Mm, uh, we're going to go now uh, live to our in Toronto reporters, long distance. Um, <laughs> through, a whole, through a whole pane of glass. It's, sound, it's mostly soundproof. <laughs> pane of glass, Stefan and Dave. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, so full show of, of just straight news this week, and it, it is... Uh, sort of covering some of the more uh, dark parts of the ideology that uh, of, hu- of of some humans' ideologies that that impact uh, the world we live in, uh, whether we like it or not. Uh, so we're going to uh, spend time talking about a couple different uh, whether a couple different things about white supremacy, all, all the way to climate denial, and sort of the links between the two of them. Uh, but Dave, I'll let you uh, kick us off. So while the rise of the alt right may not appear to be an environmental issue. As we mentioned last week, the environmental movement is lost if it does not make justice its central motive. As well, the thinkers and politicians supported by the alt-right are usually anti-environmentalist. White supremacist tendencies also often go hand-in-hand with ecological destruction, since corporate fossil fuel dominance and the thrusting of the repercussions of environmental harm onto marginalized communities are key pillars in the maintenance of what many people think of as Western civilization. White nationalism and white supremacy are therefore themselves enemies of climate action. And, as pointed out by the civil rights institution in Tennessee, the Highlander Center, after one of their buildings was recently burned down and a white supremacist symbol was painted in their parking lot, a symbol which was also painted on the gun belonging to, a, belonging to the Christchurch shooter, quote, while we do not know the names of the culprits, we know that the white power movement has been increasing and consolidating power across the South, across the nation, and globally. I mention this because last Sunday, I was walking home from the University of Toronto, through the University of Toronto campus, from which we are currently broadcasting, and discovered that every single public message board on the sidewalks had been stripped of all messages, except for one big poster on either side depicting an athletic white man with a Proud Boys haircut stretching his arms out in front of the Toronto skyline, with big lettering reading, Colonize the Safe Space. A URL at the bottom directed people to the website for the Students for Western Civilization. On the website, the group claimed that hate speech against whites is rampant on Canadian campuses, that immigrants are threatening white autonomy, and that whites have a duty to organize and advance the interests of European peoples. I also discovered the posters at OCAD, the Ontario College of Art and Design, and can only assume that they appeared at other campuses in the city. But when looking into the supposed ideas of this group, one quickly sees that there's no real argument or philosophy at the heart of their position, only a blind agitation at the disintegration of white power. They even have a quaintly sparse glossary page, which consists of a mere four terms. Nationalism, nation, autonomism, and European. The first two are the most telling. They define nationalism as, quote, the policy or doctrine of asserting the interests of one's own nation, viewed as separate from the interests of other nations, or the common interest of all nations. And they define nation as, quote, an aggregation of persons of the same ethnic family, often speaking the same language or cognate languages. So they make no attempt to hide the fact that this is pure white tribalism. They fear that whites will soon be less than 50% of the population in Canada, and that will be outvoted as a result by non-whites and lose our autonomy. And then they pretend that it has nothing to do with racism or white supremacy. But it's clear that their whole motivation for speaking out is the idea that whites have a right, nay, a duty, to continue to assert our dominance over the lands that we violently acquired. 
And some of the group's supporters believe that that physical dominance is the only evidence we need of the superiority of white culture. And yet the group have the absurdity to argue that it is the alt-right that is being unjustly violently suppressed. They don't, even, they don't even attempt to offer any proof of this, but point to things like the removal of the statue of British aristocrat Edward Cornwallis in Nova Scotia, protests against Milo Yiannopoulos in Berkeley, and leftist protesters tweeting about punching Nazis as supposed evidence of leftist conspiracy. And really, if you're not a Nazi, I wonder why you're so angry about people being against Nazis. There is also a direct correlation between the new right wing, whether explicitly white supremacists or not, and climate denial. For instance, the website for the Students for Western Civilization celebrates federal Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer and Conservative Premier of Ontario Doug Ford for their apparent pledges to punish Canadian universities if they do not take measures to protect the expression of alternative right-wing ideas from protest and opposition. These leaders also happen to be vehemently against action on climate change or seemingly any environmental protections at all. Donald Trump holds the very same stances on the very same issues, even, one perversely hopes, to a more extreme degree, being completely unable to denounce white terrorism, deporting immigrants, often arbitrarily but often as the revenge for sticking up for their rights, selling huge areas of public land to fossil fuel corporations, and recently very sadly and clownishly claiming that the sound of windmills causes cancer. Thus we have an obvious link between white nationalism, that is the blind craving for white male domination, and the wholesale destruction of the environment. So, in defending Western civilization, now speaking about white nationalist groups in general, they also defend the violent energies that helped it flourish, from fossil fuels to the genocidal intent of Canadian residential schools. Because this whole idea of Western civilization, as it appears to be conceived, is not a philosophical one. It's a symbolic one, meaning that it can't be defined or rationally defended. It can only be identified with and asserted. It's the gathering up of whatever one likes into an emotional, psychological complex that can fill one with pride simply by looking at the flag. And the essence of the ideology is just that we believe we should keep our power. This is why the swearing-in ceremony of every U.S. president is indistinguishable from a relig religious ritual. <clears throat> but this so-called Western civilization as it actually exists is practically invisible to me personally, since it's everything I've known and everything I've been taught. So to argue about its ultimate goodness or badness is not something I feel currently prepared for. But what I do know is that it is groups like the one just described, in our very own Toronto, whose core work is precisely to suppress our imagination and suppress our attempts to become something better, to actually listen and learn from other cultures, possibly develop new values, and to creatively build something beyond white tribal dominance. Yeah, and this is there's a couple um, a couple big points here, and the first I think is this is is a I, I, I think the at, at, at its base, I think the 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 phrase uh, "colonize safe spaces" is sort of sort of throws the entire um, is is actually a relatively good uh, way of summing up their entire plan, right? Like basically, the like the, this is in this is a outward uh, dis attempt to carry on uh, colonization as if it was a good thing. Like at base, that's what like this. If you left these 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 people on, uh, you know, to their own devices, that's that's what they would do. They would go around deciding, you know, dominating more and more places, taking and and then destroying them for however they do. Um, and I'm reminded uh, this is a somewhat tangential so, note, but I'm reminded of this one moment to uh, to get there, which is that which is one of the uh, relatively recently there was a. 
um, uh, India uh, moved to 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 believe is to make gay marriage uh, legal or at least to, to loosen the restrictions on, on that. And this was sort of seen as a, you know, like as from, from this point, from the view of the Western world, it was sort of framed as a, uh, oh, look, they're getting, they're, they're coming up with the times. But if you look back a hundred years, it was the British colonial rule that caused that, that created that in the first place. And so it is this, it is a sort of, they, they broke it. And then a hundred years later, they were like, oh, well, it took you long enough. And and it is this idea that, um, that you know that 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 the, the central idea that colonization was a was in any way something to be touted or repeated is an overt call for ongoing genocide, and and that alone should be enough, obviously in my mind, to to disregard the rest of your positions. If, like you, I, you don't get to call like that is enough to to, in my mind, uh, allows the the state or or anyone to consider you a dangerous threat to to the to the individual and the society that exists in, um and and to and to take actions accordingly, you know if if anyone else if any other group was 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 going around putting up posters saying that you know basically advocating for a similar genocide, there would be. You know the amount of, of 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 white fright that would would be released is would be would know no bounds, and and yet the only reason that this is uh, allowed to be as pervasive as it is is because it is so ingrained in the society we live in, and that's such a uh, and and what's happening or as we're seeing now is we're seeing a a shift that that the overt dominance uh, of of this of this type of politics is is receding somewhat, and that is feeling like. Like a, a like a loss, quote unquote. When in reality, all you're experiencing is a few more people having voices, uh, and that is is enough to to make them lose their minds. So yeah, I, thanks. Uh, first of all, I want to say very well written and said, Dave. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I, the 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 hat, part of the hat that I wanted to throw in on on the ring on that too is just to just to expand on one small part of it, which was the idea. And it's not that you said that it wasn't this way, but I want to just sort of illustrate the complexity of the idea that there's really not one there. Whether we're talking about white nationalism in the context of just like on its face white nationalism or whether we're talking about it as part of a more complex system as you were doing with what you uh, with your introduction, um, there's sort of there's not one variable at play. There's two. And it's a common misunderstanding people have when they're trying to think about these issues or interact with somebody like perhaps there's a family member that's on the edge in that direction. You're trying to figure out how to relate to them and talk to them. There, there's two things at play here, not one. Right. And so let me give you an example. So. Uh, when it comes to like the white nationalism anger, it's people are saying, you know, people are saying, well, I need this. But what they're saying is not just that I think white people are better than other people. What they're saying is there's two, two things, right? There are two ideas. One of them is there is and should be a social hierarchy. And the other thing is, and I want my position on it to be here, or I think it should be here. And so the fear, which is really funny because it's always those people who are the ones who are trying to be quote unquote tough, when all of this stuff comes from fear. So it's really just like the most cowardly people in existence are generally the sorts of people who are attracted to this sort of thing because they need the backup of a quote unquote gang to give them the confidence they need to stand up straight, uh, you know, brush their teeth in the morning, that sort of thing, um, is that, uh, you know, there's is sort of two ideas. So if you're going to oppose it or if you're going to talk about it, you need to understand and talk about it in those those two concepts, right? The argument you need to have with that person is not the argument about whether or not white people are better than other people. Like, obviously, the, like, the, but that's the side, like, that's a, that's a consequence of the problem. The problem is the social hierarchy. 
not where they not an argument about where someone thinks they are on the social hierarchy and i just so i just that may be more of a small point but the reason i wanted to bring it up is that I, that directly relates to when we're talking about things about like climate change right if somebody's going and saying like denying climate change um until you figure out what their actual agenda is getting into an argument with the science about them is absolute waste of time and potentially what they were trying to do in the first place. Like there's a chance they might've actually just been trying to like trip you up into something or whatever. Right. So like recognize what the actual issue is and focus on that. If you want to talk about these issues or deal with these issues, don't get distracted by what the person is actually presenting you with. Uh, well, I was at a, I was at a talk uh, of Bill McKibben's, uh, yesterday or, or Wednesday, actually Wednesday. And, uh, he was in town for the Bob Hunter Memorial lecture. And and his first point, which I think is something that uh, everyone uh, needs to understand, is that uh, the he he sort of in his thirty years, you know, he wrote uh, the first book on climate change in nineteen eighty nine, um, and and then for the first fifteen years of of the last thirty, he spent his time uh, basically trying to win the argument, as he put it. You know, he would be going to lectures, he'd be having conversations, he'd be debating people, he was trying to win the argument. Um, and he describes his time around early 2000s as a shift in realization that it is not an argument that we need to have that this is a fight, that the other side is not, try is not trying to win the argument. They are trying to win the fight. And, and so the response to that has to be, you know, has to, uh, has to understand that that is the case, right? That, mm -hmm. that there's a fundamental distinction between how you try to win an argument and how you try to win a fight. And I'm sorry, just interject. I'll, I'll go back to you really quick. This is really, really important. Their objective is not to win the fight. Their objective is to prevent you from winning the fight, right? Like it's not, it's not one person wins or the other person wins. The entire strategy and the entire purpose here is simply to stall and to delay the argument and prevent the argument from being completed. Like the, these, the climate deniers, the, the white supremacists, all these people, their, their objective, their win condition is simply the argument continuing, not some ultimate resolution of the argument. Well, it, it, it reminds me actually a little bit of, of the concept that, you know, that they're currently, you know, we currently exist in a relatively white supremacist uh, state in a in a, play, in a in a fossil fuel paradise, um, uh, paradise for people who use fossil fuels, not for ourselves. Um, and and so the continuation of this is fine. You know, it's like it's like the concept. That one of my one of my favorite little concepts that was thrown out in a, in a thing I was reading a while ago was about how every narrative story uh, has the hero who eventually wins in the end. Um, and, at, and at the end of one of these bits, or one of these stories I was reading, it was that the hero was was explaining this to to his father, who was the was the was the evil guy, and the, and, the, and the father was like, "Yeah, but the evil gets to be in power for like seventy years, and then you show up and win in the end, and then five years later, it's back to the new quest again." And it feels like this is part of this, right? It's like the idea of like, yes, good will eventually triumph over evil, sure, but how long did we accept evil? <laughs> like, how long did evil get to be around? For for the eventual victory and how long does that quote unquote victory even last yeah so think um, of it this way if you have like family dinner and you have like some whatever your uh in-law uh whatever right some person is there at family dinner and and they're on the fence about white nationalism right if you're still having the argument after an hour you lost the argument that's my point <laughs> Well, and and like and and so this is and there's a clear link here to sort of bring it a little bit back more towards towards climate change, um, because the second section we'll we'll get into is a little bit more after the break, but there is a there is a clear distinction in if in the ideological underpinnings of quote unquote Western society civilization, which you know comes from a standpoint of of the idea of dominance over nature, uh, that is a that is a that is a 
one of the many one of the ways, but a, a relatively important underpinning of 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 of, of theories of Western civilization. And so and so this sort of this sort of manifest destiny, sort of uh, conquering the world, sort of experience is 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 not like exclusive to Western civilization, but it is a fundamental piece of it. And so it is certainly not uh, surprising, I think. That you experience that 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 this that those who experience a fundamental disregard for for lots of life extend that to future lives, um, or or the or the the, the biodiversity of the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think <clears throat> regardless of whether they have an essentially rationally um, presentable position, many of them, and especially the leader of this group, do pretend to have an argument. And so there's some value in in looking at what their concepts are and why they're so absurd and what the and what the is appears to be the divide between the uh, like the cognitive divide and so how they think of safe, safe space for instance I imagine most of us would think of a safe space as a place where you respect people's traumas and you're sensitive to that and in, in, in discussion these people think of safe space as a place uh, simply where white hate is allowed to spread. Like this is this is right. the this is the divide in in thinking between these two concepts. Right. Well, and 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 let's and let's be real here. The the if when you if you want to look go and see where people are shutting down voices, uh, look no further uh, than Doug Ford deciding that all the parents of you know all the parents of autistic children are uh, are are paid shills, and that the students who yesterday left. Almost every high school uh, to, to to protest his education cuts were all just encouraged to by union thugs and teachers. Was the, arti- but, the autistic thing? Uh, Doug Ford has done some terrible things uh, to cutting funding for different. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a very unrelated thing, but very bad. Um, but it speaks to this sort of like. There is this conservative mindset, especially recently, and I think this is what sort of makes, I think, the Doug Ford, Andrew Scheer, Donald Trumps of the world in some ways separate from from what we experienced maybe in the in, in, in conservative thinking in the past, um, which is that there is there is no room for them to be to be wrong. And anyone who disagrees with them are are paid and uh, and and a part of the the entrenched battle that they are fighting, right? It's a it's this viewpoint of of that of that they are somehow the the the, the marginalized group that is fighting back against these these big boogeymen. Um, you know, it, it's it's playing out currently in uh, in Alberta where the where the sparsely funded uh, environmental groups are being hangered are being are being targeted as as you know as foreign nationalists basically or funded by all these you know these these shady characters. While the oil industry is the oil industry, like who has billions of dollars and are in no way responsible or care about where they're extracting the oil. Like if you think Shell Oil or something has cares more about Alberta than the than the people, the community leaders in Alberta trying to trying to help it with a just transition, then I don't know if I can help you. Um, because, because that is a, because you're, you're fundamentally misguided. Um, and so anyways, we're, we're coming up to a break. We are going to come back in and talk a little bit more of the, of the direct connection about anti-environmentalism, uh, in the new right wing. Uh, but we're going to music break first. 
Yeah, sorry, just as we did, I, w- I want to wrap it up because we spent basically a whole section there talking about using left and right a lot. And I, I want to just offer my sort of uh, semi-annual uh, disclaimer about that sort of language, uh, particularly during this topic, but generally on the show. This is like a general green majority disclaimer. When we're talking about right and left, we're talking about uh, the brand that is offered to the public. So if you are a person who identifies as a conservative or liberal, we don't care about that. We're not talking about that. We're not trying to uh, put people into boxes based on their personal label that they apply to themselves. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't necessarily we don't necessarily like you. I'm just saying that like th- those aren't the categories we're talking about, right? We're talking about the politics that are offered, the politicians and how they label themselves and the ideas as they align to the sort of political offerings for uh, Canadians. And I just want to say, I, I want to make that outline because again, we're concerned about the facts. If there's someone out there who calls themselves a conservative but is interested in climate action, like we're on the same side. <laughs> well, the, the, there are there are the Republicans or uh, which is actually, which is the, a group of Republicans started by Bob Inglis, who was who was primaried trying to because he cared about climate change in the states about 10, 15 years ago, which now feels quaint, honestly. Um, yeah, no, I just want to make sure first step we're... of the of the dissension. Yeah, I just want to make sure we're clear with the listeners that the tent door is open. Right. Yes. Right. If okay. you want to, if you if you please <laughs> please help us, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> all right. So this is uh, Young Galaxy. We have everything. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. The Green Majority is entirely listener supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. All right. Dave, uh, Dave complained last week about the length of our music break, so I really w- I wanted to lean a little bit into that one. So you're welcome, Dave. <laughs> but you. aside from that, welcome back to the Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community and radio partners all across the universe and our slightly, slightly preferred listeners who listen to us via the podcast, which is at greenmajority.ca. Back to the news with Stefan and Dave. Thanks so much. Yeah, so we're on. We're carrying forward uh, this sort of connections between uh, the new right wing and and anti-environmentalism and and our movement building in general. Uh, so let's jump right in, Dave. So <clears throat> further evidence of this uh, link between anti-environmentalism and this brand of new right wing thinking comes from Canada's own Jordan Peterson, divine prophet of the alt right. <laughs> He has, of course, been typically philosophically and scientifically bereft in his stance on climate change and the environment for some time. He has stated, with no evidence at all, that we're simply not wrecking the place, because he doesn't seem to need to prove anything that he feels deeply enough about. He has tweeted speeches from Patrick Moore, who was once a respected environmentalist, but now uses his environmental credentials to make a very large amount of money greenwashing for massive corporations and who makes arguments like, plants consume CO2 for food, therefore the more CO2 the better. And Peterson has tweeted out articles by professors like atmospheric physicist Richard Lindzen, who is also very dear, by, who's also held very dear by cli- climate deniers because of his apparent academic credentials, but who authored a letter to Trump two years ago urging him to pull out of the Paris Agreement. The letter was signed by 300 people whom Lindzen claimed were eminent and qualified, but were mostly people already in the business of climate denial, like coal lobbyists and petroleum engineers, and again Patrick Moore, who has argued that oil extraction projects like the tar sands actually clean the soil. Another signatory was physics professor William Happer, who once agreed to fake the peer review process of an article about the benefits of coal. So these are the people whom Jordan Peterson turns to for woke climate positions. And then, may the good Lord help us all, 
There is a video on YouTube published by the Global Warming Policy Foundation, a climate denial organization started by a group of pompously entitled British lords, which also promotes Patrick Moore and Richard Lindzen, the men just mentioned, in which Peterson responds in a deliriously rambling way to a question from a student about whether the problem of climate change could bring people together. He emphatically says no, and to illustrate the kind of answer from this guy that a lot of people are, are prepared to take as gospel, I'll list all the reasons he states, even though they appear to contradict one another. His answers are, and generally in this order, we can't do anything about climate change because it's too complex. We have no solutions. The science on it is tainted by political motivations. We can't predict the future. Wind and solar energy can't be stored. Germany's emissions increased when they got rid of nuclear because they had to go back to coal. It's only really poor people who don't care about the environment, so all we have to do is eliminate poverty, then the problem will fix itself. And besides, we should have as many babies, healthy babies as possible, because it will breed more geniuses to fix our problems. Burning coal is better than burning wood. And nobody's going to stop heating their houses, taking trains, or using their cars or their phones anyway. In dissecting Peterson's motivations for climate denial, a man named Michael Barnard, a, physics, a business and a con a technology consultant, writes, quote, As his former mentor at U of T said, Peterson loves the rhetorical patterns of demagogues. He loves that when they said something and they got roars of approval, they repeated it more loudly and then honed in on the subset of things that got them the biggest roars. And it really does feel like that is 98% of all of this. Right. It really does sort of feel like feel like and that a huge percentage of of the ideology uh, comes from repeating talking points louder and louder. So more people will cheer for you. Mm. Uh, you know, it is it, it is the only it is perhaps the only thing to explain uh, half of what uh, of what what Trump says. Uh, it certainly goes a long way of explaining why why Doug Ford can't seem to go a day without making his MPPs uh, give him standing ovations every time he speaks in in legislature uh, while refusing to answer questions from any from any media. Uh, it, it 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 it's feel this is this level of whoever is directly in front of me cheering. That is what I will say and what I will believe. Um, and let's be not let's be honest. Like Peterson rode uh, his bigotry into a Patreon page that's making him ninety four thousand dollars a month. Like I thought it was like thirty three thousand dollars a month. And he also now. had to cancel it for some reason. Probably because he was pro proposing hate speech, you know, or some of uh, 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 things of that nature. Um, there's a there's a fascinating article uh, or a video going around right now um, of. Of perhaps if, if if Peterson is the is the is, is a patron saint, then then one of the maybe one of his fellows uh, or something like that of the of the ideological right wing, um, uh, uh, Steve Bannon, who is who is was secretly recorded recently uh, at a far far right nationalist uh, talk in in Europe, and he's. And this video perhaps is like the greatest, uh, the the greatest argument for deplatforming I've ever seen, uh, which is he's surrounded by by European far right white nationalists, and he's talking about how the fall of Breitbart really, uh, and he's discussing how the first. Uh, throughout the campaign and leading up to the campaign, he they you know they were growing. When he left to join the campaign, they were making about something like nine million dollars um, uh, via advertising. I think it was I think it was monthly. Um, or maybe yearly, um, actually yearly makes more sense. Uh, but uh, so they're making, and and then and then this group called Sleeping Giants shows up, 
and and basically they make it their mission to convince advertisers not to advertise on Breitbart. And so all they do is that they you go to you go to on the Breitbart, you see advertisers, and then you tweet at them saying, "Hey, you should not. Did you know you're supporting this? Via because because it's all going through Google and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you shouldn't stop doing that." And and they were so successful that that in Bannon's own words in the secretly recorded video, he basically says that they were able to cut off ninety percent of their funding, and just that by tweeting at the company, just by 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 targeting advertisers and getting them deplatformed, and and that is. And that is like that's how you win a fight. <laughs> like, like you don't like you know they're they're you know it, they didn't they didn't decide to engage with the with the nonsense that these articles were were, were going on. They they use the fact, and this is an interesting way. They use the fact that right now the, I think the, it is somewhat safe to say that the over alter overarching cultural narrative um, is 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 far ahead of our politics. Um, and so the left does seem to have a relatively strong, as a, as a, as a, from a from a much larger sort of cultural narrative, uh, more cultural power right now, um, and this sort of the simmering underbelly that is that is the far right nationalism. But I think, but like, but when you think about a lot of the sort of more meta narratives, that's that is that is that that remains quite true. And so basically taking what was like by, by shining a light on on who was funding this type of thing to the overarching cultural narrative, it allowed us it allowed it allowed people to transform their their powerlessness in a system that sort of felt especially under Trump, uh, you know, felt like you didn't have the power to actually engage in to actually do something. And something was seemed maybe seemed small, but as as people picked up doing it more and more and more, clearly, you know, it, it worked. It took down a nine million dollar organization that is that in in Bannon's own words is now struggling to to pay rent, mm. um, and and that type of uh, direct um, sort of action um, on that front like is a way I think is it was a way forward, especially when we're in um, in a time where it feels like doing a lot of things doesn't work. You know, like in a time like right now, I would not, I, I truly wouldn't blame someone for thinking, why would I go to a climate change protest? Um, because Doug Ford isn't listening. Trudeau bought a pipeline. You know, why am I doing this? Uh, and I think there's still legitimate reasons to do it. And I think we should still keep doing this and we have to make this happen. But I got to understand the argument. And I think the idea of looking for other ways to influence change is natural. And I think the a diversity of tactics is so important, which is why you know the campus divestment movements uh, remains going so strong in time like this because it's a way to take to have some power now, and that's really important. Yeah, no, just I, I didn't want to I don't, I don't want to take I don't want to seem like I'm taking away from your point. I just want to like add to it, stuff. And so the idea around um, deplatforming with Bre- uh, Breitbart specifically. So um, to add to that, so yes, it's absolutely uh, effective to do that. That it did uh, effectively take away a lot of money. That I know there was a lot of other cases that were also very effective. Um, and I think that that is uh, taking money away from those organizations through that uh, again, not through like creating fake controversies, but by simply giving someone who has uh, information that is relevant to them that they would want that they simply didn't know that they didn't know and then now they know it and now they make a new informed decision right so it's not like they were they were they were creating fake posts they were taking pictures of Breitbart's website with the embedded ad that was really there and the headline that Breitbart put on it and putting the contrast with the headline and their logo and saying how do you feel about this so there's absolutely nothing wrong with what they were doing the the thing that I want to add on with a specific point was that um, to underline is that well, I still think it's important to do that. And I think there are a lot of knockoff effects of doing that, like just generally affecting the tone and, and whatnot. So I think I think there are good reasons to do that. Um, but it's very important to keep in mind that organizations like Breitbart are not there to make money. Mm. 
there there are there are ways to get around like political laws right and uh since andrew breitbart died who's the guy who started breitbart the paper has basically been funded entirely by uh, alex mercer who's one of the richest people in the united states and someone who funds all sorts of dark money packs with the Koch brothers and all those sorts of folks and so they they fund these sorts of operations at a loss there's tons of right-wing publications like this that they fund at a loss because the exi- the purpose of them is not to be profitable the purpose of them is to promote an idea that is beneficial to them so they send out propaganda it's cheaper why why pay for advertising in another magazine when it looks like advertising when you can just own the magazine and then it looks like content right so just i just uh, so again I, yeah i don't want to take away from your point but just th- that's not necessarily the reason they exist is to be profitable businesses so while i think it is important it is effective to uh, take money away from them and i think we should do that uh, understand the effect it's going to have is not necessarily the point of them in the first place Right, it, it just de- but it certainly decreases their capacity it's, to do ab- things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to add to that, but right. I, I don't think it takes away from what you were saying. Uh, well, let's let's get on to the to, to Lumborg. <clears throat> yes. So in the exchange we just discussed, Jordan Peterson professes that uh, Bjorn Lomborg is a genius for being optimistic about climate change and for making an economic argument for fo- focusing on poverty instead. Lomborg is a former head of the Danish uh, government's uh, Environmental Assessment Institute who gained recognition in the early 2000s with books about how it's really all okay. As Desmog Bog points out, uh, his, his, his 2001 book called The Skeptical Environmentalist was reviewed by the Danish Committee on Scientific Dishonesty and found it guilty of, quote, fabrication of data, selective discarding of unwanted results, deliberately misleading use of statistical methods, plagiarism, and deliberate misinterpretation of others' results. The committee did hold him uh, did hold did not hold him ultimately responsible, however, since they ruled that he was so scientifically inept that he could not have known that he was writing gibberish. And Lomborg was still able to use the book to launch a lucrative speaking career, making big polluting companies feel good about themselves. More recently, he has twisted the results of an academic paper that warned against the increased poverty resulting from global action on climate change. He claimed that the paper concluded that such action would cause more hunger worldwide than climate change itself. The paper did not in fact conclude this, but rather found that hunger increases by 2050 if we simply put a global price on carbon between $60 and $180 per ton and do nothing else. The report stated, quote, By 2050, stringent climate change mitigation policy, if implemented evenly across all sectors and regions, would have a greater negative impact on global hunger and food consumption than the direct impacts of climate change. But our findings should not be interpreted to downplay the importance of future GHG emissions mitigation efforts, or to suggest that climate policy will cause more harm than good in general. Instead, this study highlights the need for careful design of emissions mitigation policies in upcoming decades. For example, targeted schemes encouraging more productive and resilient agricultural production systems, and the importance of incorporating complementary policies, such as safety net programs, that compensate or counteract the impacts of climate change mitigation policies on vulnerable regions. There are many more instances of Lomborg lying about scientific studies, but I mention this one in particular because it highlights the need for a systemic shift rather than a mere uh, market mechanism. Yeah, and so this again goes back to this concept of of uh, that you cannot address climate change um, without a holistic appearance on on everything, um, you know, because of the fact that there is this overwhelming issue of that uh, the how action costs like like uh, but 
well, actually, it goes back really to specifically the fact that that a price on carbon is a conservative solution to, to climate change. You know, the what's what's amazing is that you we might see if the, if the Green New Deal is is uh, is effective, uh, which I think it will be, um, it will at least be effective policy wise. Um, if, uh, if if the Green Deal is effective policy wise, it will indicate perhaps one of the largest failings of conservative thought um, that I've ever seen. Uh, because not 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 mainly because they had twenty years to embrace the conservative solution to this problem, and they've managed to make the conservative solution to the problem so toxic. That people are now leaving that solution to go back to a much, much more radical left-wing solution to the problem, um, because the left-wing has now given has has now begun to move beyond the the the, the, the price point solution. Um, you know, like twenty like twenty years ago, a slowly increasing price on carbon would have basically allowed you to maintain your whole capitalist system as we reduced carbon, and we could still exist in a in a in a relatively uh, s similar world with with relatively similar capitalism um, and and probably still rising income inequality. But but we but we would be not having this climate change problem. Instead, they have so doubled down on hating this idea that we're getting to the point where basically the left wing is now dismantle all capitalism and we will make this work and that is seen as the more politically palatable idea like it is it is, is such such a failure uh it, it, like from a from a if you your conservative market-based solution to, to what they what these what this group has managed to do in the last 20 years um that that it's it's it's, it's almost it's almost mind-boggling no, I just want to say anyone um, from my generation will remember that uh, in the years after the original Back to the Future movie came out, there was uh, several years, like all sorts of, it was very popular for a number of years for like magazines like Popular Science to talk about how the hoverboard technology was actually in flying cars were actually pretty close. So like anyone approximately my age will have a memory <laughs> of being in like in the late, uh, in the mid nineties and like there being a lot of hype around like the, you know, the next thing around the corner of flying cars. So that's why we didn't get it, Stefan. No price on carbon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got to we got to fly flying carbons. Flying carbons. We already have flying carbons. Um, but uh, this is to, to, to quickly go back to um, to Lomborg and the more specific uh, responses. It is it is clear to me that um, the, the the one I mentioned this I think last week of the show before, but I'll say it once again before we go to music break, um, which is that it is it is clear to me that. To try to engage, like as climate change gets worse and worse and worse, the people who are currently lying about it now won't, we are not getting a mea culpa from them 20 years from now. Like Bjorn Lomberg is not going to show up 20 years from now and say, sorry guys, I got it wrong. Just uh, kidding. Yeah. Um, you were all right. You were all right. I was a, I was a merchant of death. Um, you know, like it's not like tobacco companies currently are going on and on about how long they decided to convince people they weren't dying of cancer. You know, they, they, they the speed at which that once it becomes totally unacceptable to hold this position, that they will switch, uh, to, to this belief that, well, now things are so bad. We have to, we have to have a strong military and a right wing to defend ourselves from upcoming water wars is going to be a that's where they're headed 
Like, like it's going to go from this isn't a problem to this is such a big problem that we still need the exact same things that got us into the problem because without those things, we'll be at an economic or militaristic disadvantage. Well, yeah. you know exactly what's going to happen. By the time there's literally climate crisis upon us, then all of a sudden all those people, all your Blorin Lumbergs and all your uh, Bre- uh, Andrew Breitbarts, he's dead, but you know, right. Steve Bannon, all these people, then all of a sudden then we're going to have climate fascism, which is, oh no, there's no resources. So we're going to have to make sure that we siphon them off for all the white people and too bad, everyone else. You're on your own. You yeah. know, fight for the survival. You know, it's going to be this, it, the, fir, the the very people who will be fighting to the absolute death to do anything about climate change will be the first people uh, demanding to be in line for the limited rations. Yeah. And and I think that uh, what well, you know, and you see versions of that already happening as, uh, you know, as as as, as the European uh, far right, uh, you know, big re- revolts against the against the migration caused already by climate change. Right. Like this is this is what is currently happening. Um, and 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 yet here we are um, with 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 still a complete lack of, of action on on the, on the issue itself. Um, and so uh, with that, uh, we're coming we're going to come back. Uh, with a bit about a uh, little more, little more Canadian politics, Doug Ford and and Rachel Notley. Uh, but let's go to our, our music break for now. The Green Majority is entirely listener supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise three hundred dollars a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com for as little as one dollar. All right, we're back into our second extended. Uh, music break um, just for you, Dave. And uh, we're going to go into the final home stretch. You're listening to the Green Majority here at CIUT. A uh, bit of a, a more mostly serious tone, slightly off, well, it's certainly not off topic. That's sort of the point of the show. But uh, I think today's maybe sub theme might be things you might think might be off topic, but are absolutely not. <laughs> we're moving a little more on topic, I think, from a standpoint of, uh, of direct uh, news about. The- like things that would be included in like grist or uh, or other uh, other climate news organizations briefly though speaking of other climate organizations um if you are a if you're a, a teen or know any teens uh inside climate uh news is looking for a few uh f- a few journalism uh op- people who are teens interested in in journalism looking for two summer journalism courses in july um and so uh, they're, accepting, uh, they're accepting applications uh so if you know any aspiring journalists uh or or teenagers who might be interested in the environment environmental news uh go to inside climate news and you can learn more there inside climate news yeah uh, but uh, outside climate news uh, are people protesting Doug Ford and other things. So let's go back to Doug Ford. Ontario Premier Doug Ford has decided to spend millions of our own dollars on an ad campaign trying to convince us that the federal carbon tax will be bad for us, as he continues to spend millions of our other dollars trying to convince the courts that the tax is unlawful. Ford has pledged <clears throat> during the campaign, uh, had pledged during the campaign, to give the Auditor General power again to veto government advertising, but he seems to be reneging on that now that he has his own campaign out. One ad depicts hands uh, that are symbolically representative of Ottawa reaching into people's cars and stealing change. On top of this, Doug Ford and his caucus uh, all participated in a media stunt, posting photos of themselves filling up their cars on the last day to do so before the federal carbon tax plan kicks in and raises gas prices. When the National Observer asked them a series of questions uh, about it, they on, their only response they got was from Ford's spokesperson who said, quote, climate change is a real and credible threat, threat, but the people understand that you don't need a carbon tax to fight climate change. 
Of course, the only reason we have the carbon tax in Ontario is because Ford already killed the cap-and-trade, which was supported by the business community and was already generating tons of money for the province, which was then being given back to the people of Ontario for green initiatives. He has also, of course, destroyed every other uh, green initiative in the province, and it's not even clear that he's saving us money. Outgoing Environment Commissioner Diane Sachs, whose office was recently axed by Ford, reports that Ford is in fact increasing our energy bills as well as our pollution. He has also just appointed Canada's infamous climate denier, Mr. Joe Oliver, to oversee Ontario's electrical system. Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath has said that since there's a federal election coming in the fall, Ontario Conservatives are simply, quote, using Ontario's tax dollars to help the federal Conservatives in their election. So taxpayers in Ontario are going to be doing political advertising on behalf of the Andrew Scheer Conservatives. The carbon tax uh, will cost the average Ontario household $244 a year on gas and heating oil, but they will also receive $300 back from the government, which Ford uh, just refuses to believe. Or rather, his spokesperson believes that, quote, using even the most conservative estimates, the federal government's rebate will not alleviate the increased costs families and job creators will feel with the federal carbon tax. Yeah. So here's a, a quick note about how poorly parts of the media are are, are covering uh, climate change or or any news of this nature. Uh, there is an article in the Windsor CTV News titled "Carbon Tax Sees Utility Costs Spike at Windsor Regional Hospital." And if you then go on to read the article, it is basically just uh, a bunch of conservative talking points about how much more electricity will cost uh, in, in, to this hospital. Uh, as if, as if, as if the conservative government in power right now cares about hospitals at all uh, or about how much money we have to spend on anything. The, and, and, and like I wouldn't point out, it, all, all Ontario hospitals by 2022 are expected to pay an extra $27 million uh, be, be, on energy. Mm. So that is four years – of hos- of energy bills for all hospitals, and it is twenty seven million dollars. You mean in addition, ex- extra? In, in in addition, yeah. yeah. Compare that in and compare that to the co- how much money is currently being spent on fighting this the price on carbon, which is more than that. Thirty million. Thirty million. Um, so there you go. There you go, Ford government. Give that thirty million dollars you plan to fight the carbon to the hospitals, and then you can stop talking about it. But no, that's not how this news story goes. It is about how how bad the carbon tax is for these hospitals, and it it, it it just this is this is why this is why we're losing right. Like the idea that this would be the way you could even talk about uh, about about a price on carbon is is that the as it like that is as if that that is the major concern for hospitals right now, not the cuts that we're seeing across the board, not the fact they're spending even more money than it's even costing uh, to fight the to fight it, not the fact that most major medical associations agree on pricing carbon because of because of how much because of the other costs that they actually cause the, the other knockoff benefits that come with with a reduced uh, carbon output that are health benefits that will save the uh, the healthcare industry money none of that is included in this it is it is it is a, just saying basically that hospitals are going to have a harder time now like this is the deficit mindset that allows for this kind of thinking to continue and it what is deficit mindset uh, it, the, the concept uh, of deficit mindset is basically the concept that 
it, that if you that that there's not enough to go around, and so any sort of decrease, uh, any sort of thing that hurts, uh, is 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 inherently bad, and you can't find another way around it. You know, it's 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 a very much conservative mind of thinking of like we can't raise revenue at all. How would we even possibly find more money? That's impossible. Uh, so instead, we have to cut everything because that's the only solution to this problem. Um, and, and so it's that kind of thinking that is being on display in any of these things, you know, like there was a great, like in that protest that, that or protest quote unquote, uh, of, of conservative, uh, of conservative MPs being forced to go to the, uh, to go to the, um, the gas pumps to, to take these, you know, staged photos. What's amazing about this is that on Monday it goes up four cents, uh, and there's, and there's this huge, you know, response from MPPs. On Wednesday, it goes up eight cents for just because that's how it moves sometimes, and there's not a peep or response. Like it's it is it feels so apparently transparent, um, uh, so transparent in the, in the the way the response is going that uh, that that if you do any digging at all, these concerns are are um, are hollow, really. Because of because of the other moves that are happening around it, and and yet and yet this is and yet there's no context ever being really really being thrown, or or when or when their context is being thrown, it is then being attacked as fake news. The idea that you can put a false claim in context is suddenly taken as a, as an attack, and the media is then vilified for trying to actually have a have a conversation about the actual contextual scenario that we live in. Um, and, and this is, and, and it, and it is this kind of response that we're seeing from, from Doug Ford, who then also goes on to, again, doesn't really take uh, any media, has actually created their own media organization that is this Ontario News Now or whatever it's called, that is just propaganda wing for them. Um, you say Doug Ford has a news? Yeah, there's an entire, the Ontario government has created a fake, uh, not fake, but like a, like, like it's a, it's a Ontario government funded media quote quote unquote organization that basically just says conservative talking points what's it called i think it's ontario news now wow like it like and that's the and that is the one place that gets actually interviews with with some of their cabinet members uh but they're creating their own news that like they, they're not and and yet they don't you know like doug ford is consistently absent from question period so doesn't take questions for the things well then when they do take questions we'll have uh, we'll drown them out through applause by the, like these are like these all these little things add up, and all these things have to be called out. And it feels like we're fighting the battle in so many different areas. Do you suspect this is terribly new? Because to me, this appears to be a, uh, a, a an increasing fascism in the uh, in the Western democracies of the way these the way these politicians are going through very specific media outlets so that their message is very particularly curated to what they want to say. Is yeah. that is that something fresh in Canadian politics? Well, I think, or is this something that's been done decades ago and then disappeared and now it's back? I, I, I think the major difference is social media. I think the major difference is that previously, if you wanted to get a message out to your constituents, you had to go through media and you had to go through... Uh, so, so the media who had the reach actually had a little more power. And and now you can create with social media, you can or, or and in these other sites like Ontario Proud and stuff like that, that are that are sort of based around sharing right wing viewpoints. Uh, you can, you don't have to. You can actually be seen as if you're giving statements and being seen as doing things without ever actually being held accountable by the media because you have all these other platforms. Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to add um, one small caveat to that too, as well. It, just again, just an additional factor, but it, and this is just speculation. Um, but I feel that uh, as well, like 
politicians have always sort of, uh, you know, particularly the more dishonest ones, regardless of what party they align themselves with um have always certain there's always this thing of like how much can i get away with right so but and people i think there was a lot more of like fear of rational response right like politicians would go oh i get you know can't quite do that or i can't quite say that because like i wouldn't accept that right like there's skepticism in just how much wool can be pulled over people's eyes and i think what happened with donald trump was that everyone got a real wake-up call on just how little pay attention people pay to politics and how little time they have to critically think about the things they're being presented with. And I think that over the last few years, a lot of these groups said, wow, yeah, people really don't pay attention. It turns out we can just tell bold faced lies that are easily checkable and no one will check. And I think it was really just the cat to some degree got let out of the bag on, on how little attention people pay to what's going on in the world around them, frankly. And just the way that the media reports, especially on Trump. Trump actually, interestingly, is you know, speaks to media slightly more more often than uh, than Doug Ford does. Um, but and the media actually does a service in making him seem more reasonable rather than less. You know, a, a short clip of Trump as it makes it seem like he might be know what he's talking about. A hour long rant of Trump makes you concerned that he uh, for his for his mental well being. Um, but I really want to make sure we we cover this last story. So let's just get to to Notley before the end. So. Uh We've seen the NDP in Alberta, however, also using public money to put out ads that lie about pipeline infrastructure as they tried to convince the public uh, that Trans Mountain would create green jobs. Um, sorry, we've already seen this uh, when they tried to uh, convince the public that Trans Mountain would create green jobs, a healthier environment, and would not lead to more tar sands extraction. Now they're putting out another ad campaign aimed at blaming British Columbia for Alberta's oil woes. As Mitchell Anderson writes for the TIE, quote, as the world moves toward a future beyond fossil fuels, such cynical tactics are not just dishonest, they're dangerous. Thousands of workers in the oil industry have already been displaced as industry moves to automate away their jobs. After the oil price crash in 2014, companies made job-eliminating efficiencies a top priority, a trend they assured their shareholders will continue. Workers in the high-wage Alberta petroleum sector are particularly at risk from shifting economic ground. Insolvencies in Alberta are up 20% since 2017. This already angry demographic is being further inflamed by Alberta's campaign telling them it is somehow all the fault of British Columbia, or Quebec, or Justin Trudeau, or First Nations. Potentially violent elements are being emboldened by irresponsible rhetoric from our political leaders. Yeah, so the... There are there are a number of the, the Alberta election is is one that I, I admittedly um only ha I've only half paid uh, attention to in part because I find it so depressing. Um, when is this happening? Pardon? In, in the sh soon I don't know the exact date, but mm. within the next they had the first leadership debate was yesterday, mm. um and. And so it is. It's perhaps a little bit of a microcosm, actually, of what we're sort of what we'll what we'll see in the the federal uh, election without obviously a uh, with sort of without a third party um, or fourth if you include the bloc or fifth if you include the Green Party, um, which is that you have one side that is very pro pipelines um, and and determined that that remains a central block of of. Of, of society, which you would think would be enough, should be enough, honestly, to to sink any 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 political uh, aspirations within the world of we have 10 years to deal with climate change. Putting in a 40 year pipeline is a terrible idea. 
but then the other side, uh, to sort of loop back to the very beginning, is just overt right white nationalism. Um, and so, and so you're sort of, and, and so like I, I, I feel like in the federal election, I think we'll have a slightly larger set of set of possibilities. But in the, but if you are a left wing NDP in 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 Alberta uh, right now, I am sure you are deeply frustrated, um, hoping that someone might give you a. Uh, a voice that that does not repeat this the, these two ideas like they, they might give you someone else uh, to really actually bring a, a stance forward for a just transition to to honestly advocate for Albertans 20 years down the road like what's currently happening in Alberta is 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 they're all basically trying to convince Albertans right now no one is no one's advocating for a for Alberta of of 2040 uh, Alberta of 2040 in their minds is is a is a is a, I was going to say a pipe dream, um, but uh, but like it is is truly that's a missing link. So we we have one minute left. So if you allow me the last comment. So if, for anyone who saw the movie Eight Mile, where am I going with this? Right, uh, with yeah, Eminem. Where are you going? At with the this? <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the movie, there's this whole thing. There's this whole dramatic scene where he basically um, the the whole gag at the end essentially is that he takes every criticism that somebody could possibly say and sort of does it himself, right? And it's like if I put all my own thing on out in front of me, then what it what else is there, right? And you take ownership of stuff, right? It's sort of that idea. So not in the sense that this is literally true, but in the sense of like political messaging of like owning the idea here's my campaign for for prime minister right i care about yes guilty as charged i care about your children more than i care about you <laughs> vote 2020 there you go have a good week folks take care <laughs>